In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm here with my co-host, Ian. Ian, right, right, right. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing on this fine Wednesday? Evening. It, yeah, it's lovely. It's a, it's a nice-ish day. Breaking news, Higgins, uh, Donny, the cornerback. Um, D- DJ Montgomery. DJ Montgomery. Wide receiver. Red wine, they're all in London at the moment. Yeah, I saw that uh, looks like Hollywood might be linking up with you here pretty soon. I saw him reply to somebody's tweet that he'll be reaching out to you soon. So That's how rumors start. Yeah. But the question is, is Odell Beckham coming to London? I've got some uh, sources telling me that Odell's coming to town, but that inside information is not confirmed yet. Well, who knows? After he's made the news with his LSU money handshakes, uh, he may not be able to leave town just yet. Mate, what was that all about, eh? So after LSU won the national title, Odell, Jarvis, Tyron Matthew, a bunch of other LSU alumni guys were on the sidelines. So Justin Jefferson, Jamal Chase, um, Joe Burrow, Odell was seen giving them handshakes of money. And initially, it was reported out that the money was actually novelty. However, since that LSU has indicated that they are aware of the situation, they've reported it to the SEC, they've reported it to the NCAA, because there is obviously um, players were in compromising positions, is I believe how that was uh, phrased. But Odell was allegedly handing these guys cash. I know that TMZ had reported that Joe Burrow says Odell gave him real cash after the game. So, you know, listen, I, Odell, Jarvis, I get it. Like, they're very strong personalities. They're guys to play with a lot of emotion. I love that emotion on the field. But in the same breath, when your alumni's playing, I get it. It's been years since you've been there. You never won a national title game. But, like, I kind of wish the game was about the current players. Like, we all know how great Odell Beckham is. We know how great Jarvis Landry is. We know how much money they make. Like, let those – I don't get trying to outshine the players on that team. You know, after the game, I saw Zeke Elliott, who went to Ohio State, not LSU or Clemson, in the locker room. And then there's video of Odell going, I don't see Ohio State in here. Guys, that's a direct comment to Zeke in why are you in the locker room for LSU. So. Let's, let's get that through. He wasn't like mocking Ohio State. He was mocking Zeke. I don't know. I just think it's childish. It's immature. Like, let these kids have their moment. And handing them wads of cash after the game is an awful, terrible look. And it's probably going to cause a lot of people um, some, some heartache because, or some, heart, uh, some heartburn because uh, the NCAA doesn't play around. They don't like guys receiving cash. Agree or disagree with the rule. The rule is the NCAA players cannot take cash. And, well, it looks like Odell may have broken that rule. Got yeah. But um, I just I just find it all very petty. I know um, 
you know, if it's fake or real money, like, does it really matter, honestly? It does in terms of rules. But again, Odell is known as a me guy. And, you know, one of the challenges that the Browns locker room had last year was containing me guys. And again, it's a bad look because you're putting kids in situations like Jamar Chase is not draft eligible. Handing him money could jeopardize his future. The NCAA could legitimately suspend him for his final year of college eligibility. So it's just not a good look. Like, I don't why, – why do it? Like, I get that you're a brand. I get that you're an LLC. And, look, if you want to wear a watch pregame, that's fine. You're not affecting anybody else. There's nothing that can go bad that can happen to other people if Odell wears a watch. Bad things can happen when you hand out cash to college athletes. It makes no sense. Just leave them alone. If you want to give them cash the day after they're drafted – Hand them all the cash you want. It's just, it's immature. But welcome to the today's athlete. You know, a lot of these guys are one, two, three, look at me. So, Yeah. All right, buddy. And uh, let, let's move on from Odell because uh, he's probably on a plane on the way to London right now. But let's, uh, let's talk about your views, mate. I haven't really asked you. What's your views on uh, our new uh, head coach? You know, we talked about it a little bit on Saturday, and we had said right then and there it was probably going to be about 24 to 30 hours. Well, we got that right, because about 20 hours later, uh, the next morning, we found out that the Browns were intending to offer Kevin Stefanski. So, I think when it came down to Sala, McDaniels, and Stefanski, I was good with any of those. You know, I mentioned several times I thought it was going to be important who they bring in to kind of fill out that coaching staff. So... You know, I, I liked the hire. Um, I liked what, you know, Joe Thomas had to say on Monday about asking around the league and talking directly with Kyle Rudolph. Uh, Kirk Cousins has come out and said things. Dalvin Cook has come out and said things and like, hey, you guys got a good one. I really don't care what Richard Sherman has to say. I apologize that we didn't take his D coordinator. But, you know, at the end of the day, then we had the press conference yesterday. I thought he did a great job. I thought that he was cool. I thought he was calm. You could tell that he has an ego, but you could tell that he's not a hothead. You could tell that, you know, it's going to take a little bit to get fired up. You know, I, our beat reporters were in typical fashion asking dumb question after dumb question, and he didn't take the bait, you know. So I thought he really showed himself as the mold of somebody that can be in that, that Kyle Shanahan-type CEO mold. Um, so I thought that, that he, he gave a really good first impression on his first day. Got you. I thought that he came across very humble. I've watched the Nathan Seguru one on one. I've watched the his presentation, uh, his uh, press conference. I've watched the Podesta, and I've also watched the uh, Jimmy Haslam one now. So uh, I'm totally up to date with all the uh, presses. Yeah, and I think that one thing that helps Stefanski, um, his dad is actually an exec for an NBA team in Detroit, the Detroit Pistons. And the NBA has really evolved over the last few years into a very analytical driven sport, whether it's, you know, the, the isolation aspect of defense, you know, the statistical nature of players. So analytics has probably a little bit more further advanced in basketball than it is in football, ultimately because you're talking about five on five versus 11 and 11. And there's not as many facets to the game of basketball, but with Stefanski's dad being exact, 
he's probably been very familiar with what works and wasn't what doesn't work in front offices. So I think Stefanski's dad is going to give him an opportunity, you know, to have seen, you know, how you need to act, how you need to integrate, you know, what we're calling quote unquote analytics and all that other stuff. So I think that it was a, um, I think it was a good hire. Now um, I would say that I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. Like, it was definitely a good hire, but I also think it was a very safe hire. Like he, to me, seems like a guy that has maybe not the highest ceiling, but I think he has a pretty high floor, if that makes any sense. Like, I know we're not really settling, but I'm saying that like Stefanski is the guy I think that has the lowest risk of failure. And I think that's one of the things that Jimmy Haslam really likes. Yeah, it comes across like he's going to be well-disciplined. I'm a bit surprised by his age. Yeah, 37. You're older than me. Yep, he is older than me. No, I'm older than the Browns coach. I think that's my first time in history. It's pot. I mean, we how have. Old, we've had, how old is Freddie Kitchen? Uh, he's probably in his early 40s. I'd say Freddie's probably 41, 42, somewhere in there. Yeah, okay. So, but I had to laugh. I don't know if you saw the picture uh, of Stefanski and his family. Um, one of my fiance's friends made the comment that they looked like the Kennedys of football. So I don't know if you've seen him. He's definitely a, a good looking guy, good looking family. Uh, so, you know, they're going to represent the city of Cleveland. Well, mm, excellent. And, uh, Art Medell didn't get through to the hall of, um, fame. That's good. eh? you know, we should all have a moment of silence for Art Modell not getting into the hall of fame. Believe you Art. Anyways, that's enough of the moment of silence. Yeah, I don't think anybody in Cleveland's going to be shedding a tear over that one. Um, you know, I do love that there was a nice little spin job that was kind of put on like it was the city of Cleveland's fault that the owner was bankrupt, borrowing money in his wife's name to try to hold on to a franchise that he ran into the ground. Yeah, that's the city of Cleveland's fault. So, that's a story for another day, Paul. That's, that's my 25, 30 years of fandom right there. Yeah, people saying that um, when a team moves, they shouldn't be able to bring the um... – history with them yeah that was one thing the city did fight for to keep the name the colors and all that other stuff um the short story of it was Modell ran out of money you know the Browns signed a wide receiver way back in the day and Modell didn't have the cash to pay him so he actually went to the bank and took out a loan in his wife's name to pay the signing bonus for Andre Risen. So then Steve Bashotti, who's the owner of the Ravens, came to him with basically a nest egg of cash, and that's why he took the team to Baltimore. And then they tried to pin it on the city of Cleveland because the city had just built the Indians a stadium and gunned arena, and it was just a bunch of nonsense is really all it was. It was a bunch of political nonsense for a bankrupt guy who, you know, kept the team for obviously, what, 25 years in the 60s to the 90s, uh, 25, 30 years, and then just ran off in the middle of the night. So enough about him. We don't talk about Modell. Yeah, this we're a Browns, is a we're a Browns podcast, not a Ravens podcast. No. And uh, any other Browns news going on today? Oh, well, we could talk a little bit about the coaching staff. So uh, Adam Henry uh, is interviewing with the Cowboys. Um, so so I f- has he left then or is he still a Brown? No, he's still under contract with the Browns. But, you know, Haslam came out and was pretty clear and said, hey, guys, like, Certain coaches were not granted permission to seek employment elsewhere, and certain ones were. So we've already seen Tosh Lapoy and Joe Witt go to Atlanta, and now we see that um, Adam Henry is interviewing with the Cowboys. 
And I think maybe that may be the fact that Odell and Jarvis and them had uh, quite a little bit of freedom this year. So I think maybe their little reuniting uh, is not going to feel so good because I think maybe they uh, would prefer to go somewhere else. And I know that Adam Henry doesn't have any background with Kevin Stefanski. So that may be one of those things where Stefanski wants to get his own guy in there. Uh, so they've allowed Adam Henry to interview. But um, outside of that, um, you know, there's rumors now that Steve Wilkes could be sticking around as D coordinator. It's either going to be him or Joe Woods, uh, who is currently the, uh, the passing game coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, he worked with Kevin Stefanski in Minnesota, I think from like 08 to 13. So they have a good familiarity with each other. Um, a lot of people are down on Steve Wilkes, and I, I don't really know why. I mean, Steve Wilkes has obviously been a known commodity on the defensive side of the ball for quite a amount of time. And um, the fact that the Browns were just plagued with injuries on that defense, you know, I don't know if I'm really going to sit here and contribute and say, could Steve Wilkes not do as good of a job as D coordinator of the 49ers as Robert Salah? Like, you know, talent has a lot to do with it. And, you know, when you got Randall missing multiple games and greedy and Denzel and Whitehead losing his shit on Twitter and Miles Garrett going nuts and then OB, I mean, literally, I don't know. He patched, he patchworked that defense for an entire season and people seem to think that he was the worst thing ever. So, I don't know. I just don't see to, uh, to see the need to run him out of town. I was always impressed with kind of how he carried himself. Um, great reputation around the league. And with Stefanski being a first-time head coach, I don't think, uh, you know, his experience is a bad thing in that locker room. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> special teams, um, all safe. Yeah, it looks like Prefer, uh, his name has not been linked. Now, obviously, he was with Stefanski in Minnesota as well. So you could be getting the band band together back uh, with the Vikings, the assistants. Um, Todd Munkin, I did see his rumored right now to possibly be going to Georgia, which is back to college. So I think that would be kind of interesting. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of the interesting stuff when it comes to the Browns right now is uh, in the front office. You know, starting with Depot, uh, the GM. You know, overall, what did you think of the Deep Podesta press conference? Um, I was surprised that he commutes every week to Cleveland. Um, and from, and from, uh, the West coast, I guess that's what three hour time difference. Yeah. It's probably about a four hour flight. Yeah. So four hour flights, quite serious every week. Now, whether he does come every week, that'd be interesting to know. Well, but, according to him, he says he does. And, um, but then, then today he was on Cleveland Browns Daily by, via the telephone. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how that worked. He's gone all the, way, all the way back home already. I thought generally, though, his interview was quite educational in the aspect of not all analytics, just looking at numbers. And it's, his job's more to do with um, process, strategy, organizational versus making the um, crunch decisions. Yeah, I think if you remember right, a couple, probably about a week ago, we did a podcast, you know, who is Paul D. Podesta and what does he do? You know, making light of the kindergarten cop reference. Um, we said it right there. What a strategy officer does. Development, initiatives, strategy, long-term sustainability, communication. Like this notion, and I have no idea where this comes from. This notion that Paul D. Podesta is watching tape on right guards is just 
mind-boggling. I mean, he point blank came out and said it. Like, these are scouts. They're better at me than this. His job is to make sure that everybody is on the same page. And it makes me think that the people that are, like, strongly opposed to this have issues at their current job. Because I think we've all worked in environments where if people don't necessarily get along or there's not very good communication, productivity is actually less. You know, I know in a lot of different environments that I worked in in the past, there was always maybe a person or a group of individuals that never really fit in with the team and it hurts the overall production of the team. So DPS's job is to make sure that Everybody is on the same page that is marching towards the same goal. They just gave it a fancy word like alignment. But like this idea that he's in there saying, oh, it's third and nine, we're running a slant. That's, that's not even remotely close to what he does. You know, people don't realize in your everyday life how much you use statistics analytics, whatever you want to call it. You know, my background's in engineering. So, you know, I'm very familiar with statistical processes, analytical processes, you know, and in your background, you've done employment searches. You really know how much vetting goes into that. So when he laid out, we do reference checks, we vet this. You know, if you had a company that came to you, Paul, and said, we want to hire a CFO, would you interview each candidate the same way or would you interview them in completely different fashions? No, we try and keep it as a cons- constant as possible. And the reason for that is what? Just so you can scorecard as evenly as possible. So um, if, you're, if you're looking to um, rate each of their, uh, I don't know, their um, what can I use? Um, like qualifications? Not qualification. Yeah, qualification, attributes, uh, strengths then yeah if you if they're all in a similar environment then hopefully that scorecard's going to be a, a lot more accurate yeah and and that's really what Deepadessa said yesterday we interviewed eight coaching candidates we wanted to put them all through the same process we wanted to consistently they probably did similar reference checks they probably did similar schematical questions ultimately because they want to stack an apples to apples comparison you know the one thing that that blows my mind about browns fans De Podesta is looked at as like some big nerd and all this other stuff. The guy created and perfected a system in the major league baseball that is still used to this day. He in essence took sports analytics. So we talk about sports science and we talk about next gen stats and we, all these things we love watching on TV. De Podesta was on that 25 years ago. When he worked for the Indians, he was an advanced scout looking at, you know, all the, I mean, baseball has so many statistical measures. It's insane. But you have the guy who created, pioneered, perfected sports analytics in your franchise, and they want to get rid of them. Other teams have modeled their performances and their statistical departments off of Paul Podesta, And you want to get rid of the founder, the pioneer, the creator of this. Like, I, you don't think that Bill Belichick has learned things from Paul D. Podesta's strategies and systems and sports analytics. You know, every time you watch a Patriots game, we always learn about why the Patriots are always so prepared for situations more than other teams. Because Paul D. Podesta can sit there and figure out statistical ways to say, hey, when the Giants are in third and seven on defense, they like running an outside blitz. of the time or whatever it is. I mean, they're just making up a thing. So everybody will sit there and Belichick says, okay, 
by the way, if you see this, 40% of the time they're going to do that, we're going to do this. Or, hey, guys, when there's nine minutes left in the fourth quarter and you're down by 10, the chances of an onside kick are this. Boom, team tries to get an onside kick. The Patriots are on it. They recover the ball, and everybody goes, holy crap. That team is prepared for everything. Who in their right mind would have thought that they were going to do an onside kick? Bill Belichick did. You want to know why? Because he has the statistical team behind him that is feeding him information. I learned a long time ago, and when Kevin Stefanski said it, I almost fell out of my chair. Knowledge is power. Information is power. We are all tasked in our day-to-day lives to make decisions, whether it's on you know, selling filters or TVs or employments. You want to make decisions with the most information and the most knowledge possible because ultimately it reduces your risk of failure. And that's what Paul D. Podesta does. Now, has it worked? No. And he point blank said that. There's nothing I'm going to say to you today that is going to make you feel better about yourself. So let's just let the guy do his job. It's not a bad thing. Like, I don't know what the negative is. Can you, can you think, like, you, you're, you obviously get far more uh, Twitter interactions than I. What is the biggest negative about Paul D. Podesta? I think it comes down to Dorsey, and don't take this the wrong way, or Sashi to Dorsey, and now back to um, Podesta, just because, like, Sashi's the bad analytical guy, you know, and then Dorsey comes in, we're a football guy, you know. So people, you know, if you're old school, you like football, you know, so you don't want to be told by a nerd how to play football, if that makes sense. Yes, but I do. I guess I'm still seeing the linkage where people are associating, like, him telling somebody how to play football. Like, at the end of the day, Freddie Kitchens made the decisions. Like we always talk about this headset and game plans and all this other stuff, which anybody who's played football can tell you, Paul, if I were to give you the Browns game plan on Friday or Saturday and the Patriots were to call you and say, Paul, explain it to me. You'd have absolutely no idea how to explain that. Like throughout the week, the processes are implemented and the plays are integrated and all this other stuff. Like if you don't actually know what's going on, it's not like Paul D. Podesta on Saturday morning is going to sit there with a highlighter and go, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're not going to do that. Like he's not telling anybody how to play football. What he's doing is saying, Hey guys, just so you know, uh, we're playing the Steelers this week. Um, they blitz 35% of the time on TJ Watts side. Um, if you stack a tight end over top of that formation, uh, they're going to do this 28% of the time. They're going to blitz you on it. Like, so you're going to be able to sit down on Monday and say, okay, when we're creating our Steelers plan, we need to make sure that we know these are the tendencies they have. These are what they can do. So when they're designing it, they can have beaters. You know, they can have man beaters. They can have zone beaters. They can have different types of plays and you know, schemes that are going to um, affect the outcome of the game. You know, for example, I know a lot of our uh, podcast people listen to Tomahawk podcast. And Joe Thomas came out and said the minute he saw that the Minnesota Vikings used a D-line formation where they, in essence, stacked the right tackle or the left tackle um, over top of the, the line, uh, the defensive end. And he said right then and there, the minute he saw that, he knew that the 49ers were going to have a field day on the outside running the outside zone. And the reason is because he knows his intimate knowledge of that blocking scheme says that in the event one thing happens, that play is successful. 
So those are the type of analytics where if I say, hey, to shut down San Francisco's outside zone and running scheme, we need to make sure we have this defensive alignment. You know, Dean Pease against uh, Baltimore on Saturday night when they beat uh, the Ravens basically said, I'm going to stack my defensive end outside of the tackle. I'm going to bring down my pressure from the outside and I'm going to do the other side. So in essence, I'm going to contain Lamar Jackson from the outside and make the Ravens beat me up the middle. It didn't happen. The Tennessee Titans won. So these are the statistical things that coaches want to know throughout the week that help them design a game plan. It's not like they're sitting there going, I'm going to tell you how to play football. That's not happening. Kevin Stefanski is going to have to make the decision. He's just going to be given tons more information to make that decision, which should, in all theory, improve his chances of success. Well, we see it a lot in Grand Prix, things like looking at the weather and there's 67% chance of rain and you go to wet tyres. But, uh, Ian, I've got to uh, interrupt you. I've got some breaking news. I've got a text from some Browns players. So watch your space. I'm going to go and meet with them. Hmm. I see this here. Ah, so it seems like somebody was over for the uh, the EPL games that are happening this weekend, huh? Yeah, uh, we're CA, but mate, I've got to cancel the podcast. I need to get ready. I am going out, and uh, what happens will probably remain a secret. But uh, well, it could be. We fun. look forward to the videos. Uh, you can find out if it was real or fake cash, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll save the GM stuff for a good thing. But uh, I can tell everybody out there, Andrew Barry is in high demand. So Browns fans, don't count your thing, uh, count your chickens until they've hatched. And uh, right now, it seems like Zoe and uh, Elliot Wolf are. Highly uh, hopeful to remain on the staff for the ownership. So just a couple of little things that I found out. But you go, and, you go enjoy the, uh, the London nightlife and uh, let us know if anything happens. If you can, let Hollywood Higgins know we're sorry we didn't use him this year. And uh, Richard Hollywood, if you want to come back, we will open, uh, accept you with open arms. All right, go Browns. Ian, I'll speak to you tomorrow, mate. Wish me luck. Go Browns and make sure to not go too ropey tonight. <laughs> Ropey, Ropey always guarantees a closing. Right, I'll see you later on. Go Browns. Go Browns. <laughs>